If you guys have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and meet me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep your hand raised really high. One of the ushers who will walk down your aisle and get you a copy of a Bible. And if you don't own a copy, would you please keep the one that we are handing out? It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So as you turn there, one of the things I want to let you know is we, we have the, we have, after we're done here in terms of the message today, we get a chance to celebrate in some baptisms. So um, for those of you guys can see on stage over here, this is not a decoration, by the way. Uh, this is a horse trough, um, but it's a redeemed horse trough. And so by that, what we mean is we baptize people in that. And uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, just, it's just a horse trough. Um, but what we do in there is absolutely amazing. And so there's going to be men and women today who have decided to trust Jesus who will be baptized. Some of you guys who came in today, you got your change of clothes, you're ready to go, and you're going to be baptized. And the last couple of services, we've had people who do not have a change of clothes who said, yes, I trust in Jesus, I want to be baptized, and we will baptize you as well. And it has been by far uh, just an incredible, incredible time for these last couple of services, watching people uh, ultimately just being able to see an, uh, our tangible expression of what we celebrate in the resurrection. So I'm looking forward to that, and I hope you guys are too. So without further ado, let's pray, and we're going to look at God's Word, and look at what Paul is talking about, us being a new creation, and what does that mean, and what does it mean to be new in Christ, and, uh, and then we'll get an opportunity to respond when we're watching some baptisms. So would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the death of your son, Jesus, and we thank you for the resurrection. And we thank you, Lord, because he lived and died, and because he was raised, that has tremendous implications upon our life that you've promised eternal life to us, that you've promised that we are your children, that you've promised to never leave us nor forsake us, that you've promised that we have you and that you have us. God, I pray that today that you would use the words out of my mouth today, Lord, by your spirit to encourage those of us who know you and trust you. You would use it, Lord, to introduce yourself to those who have never trusted you. God, I pray that we'd be able to clearly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We all have people in our life where this has happened in your life once or twice, it doesn't matter. You have people in your life that because of their words and because of their actions, like it's changed the way you live. This can be positive and sometimes this can be negative. But because of what they say or something they've said or something they've done, it's changed the way that you live, right? And to me, that's, that's been coaches in my life, right? I love, I love coaching. Like this, I try to coach as many youth sports teams as I possibly can. Even if my kids didn't play sports, I think that I would be coaching sports, right? I'd be that awkward guy, like, why is this dude coaching all these young kids? It's like, hey, man, I, I promise you, I just love sports. Um, Right now, we're coaching baseball. And I say we. My wife's not coaching with me, but since I'm gone, we're, we're we, right? I figure when she runs a marathon, I say we run a marathon. And so, and so we are coaching right now. And so I have a couple teams that I coach. And I'm coaching baseball, which the irony is I've never played baseball before. Like not even Little League, not T-ball, never. But the best part is the kids don't know, right? And so, so you, just, you, just, you just teach them things, right? And we have a lot of fun doing this. And there's a part in coaching that is a blast for when you get on your knee and you look at these little kids in, your, in, in their eyes, right? And especially I have a, a five-year-old team and I have a seven-year-old team. And, and you look them in their eyes and they just look at you with those wide eyes, right? And it's great. It's like, give me your eyes, give me your eyes. And they look. And there's always a kid you could tell who's been around sports. Like my son's like this and he's like, you know, and it's like, calm down, right? Calm down, right? <laughs> And they look at you like, coach, we are totally listening to you. But you know they're totally not listening to you, right? They have no idea what's going on. The way that I coach these kids is I promise them after every game, they get double bubble, right? And if you don't know what double bubble is, it's gum that lasts for about 30 seconds, right? (laughs) 
and you can get a bucket of it for five bucks at Smart and Final. It's, it's gold, right? And so I just give out these double bubbles. But when I get a chance to look them in their eyes, it's just the most incredible thing. Because, you know, you, you have their attention and you have an opportunity to say something good to them. You have some opportunity to, to shape them. And I, I know that, that coaches matter because that, that to me was my life. I didn't have any men in my family that were pointing me to anything that I felt like was positive. Right? I had a lot of good women in my life. I had my mom, I had my grandma, I had my auntie, I had, all, I had my sister. Like, they were like my fan club, right? But to have, to have like a dude in your life, right? And this is not males or females, like, but to have a dude as a young dude or guy, whatever phrase you use, like have a guy in your life mattered. There's two people that their words and their actions absolutely shape me and change me. The first one is this guy by the name of Mark Tolan. Mark Tolan was the dad of my best friend, Ryan Tolan, still best friend to this day. And Mark was a serious guy. Like, he always, like, looked serious. He always had that serious face. You know how some people have that serious face all the time? There's a phrase for that, but I can't use it in church. But it, it's, just a, it's just a serious face, right? We're there. And so and those of you guys are not there, don't worry about it. It's just a serious face. And so I never really knew what he was thinking, but he would coach us. And he was a good coach. And I looked up to him a lot because I just, I just liked him. And when I was eight years old, after football season was over, he says, hey, are you going to play football again next year? And I said, I don't know. I mean, if Ryan plays football, I'll play. Because at that age, you just do whatever your friends are doing. And um, I said, uh, I don't know. And he goes, hey, I just want to let you know something, man. You're a special kid. And I was like, Mr. Tolan is talking to me. <laughs> and he said, you're a special kid. He goes, if you play football again, that'd be great. But even if you didn't play, I just want to let you know you're a special kid. And you're really special at this sport, too. Okay. No one's ever told me that before. Of course I signed up for football in the next year. Because <laughs> he was going to coach. I'm like, if he's going to coach, he thinks I'm special, he thinks I'm special at this, whatever. I'll, I'll give him everything. I'll ask him into my heart if I need to right now. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's like, this is, this is real to me, right? And that, that mattered. That mattered to me. That mattered to me, right? Like, here's a, here's a man that I looked up to, and he said I was special. Okay, fast forward a few years later. Um, Mark start coach, stopped coaching us, and we played for a different team, and we played for uh, a coach by the name of Sam Wright. This guy was, like, one of the meanest men alive, right? And I remember telling my mom after the first week of practice, I'm ready to quit. And she goes, you can't quit. And I said, Mom, you don't understand. You haven't met Coach Wright. Because my mom couldn't make it to practice because she was working. And the, the, the Pop Warner team that we played at was about 15 minutes away. So um, me and my other friend were the only kids from our city that played there. So I couldn't catch a ride. So I had to take a, the city bus, right? So I'm 12 years old on a city bus going to practice. Now, you and I both know, or both, this is two of us here. And, and, and so we all know that the city bus is never on time. Never on time. And so... When you're late to practice according to Coach Wright's rules, however many minutes you're late to practice, that's how many laps you had. So imagine you're 15 minutes late. That's 15 laps, right? And as a kid, I'm not running laps. As an adult, I'm not running laps, right? Who wants to run laps, right? And I'm like, this guy is crazy. But you know what? We respected him. We respected him. After the season was over, same thing. I'm 12 years old. He comes to me and goes, hey, I'm getting ready to get done with eighth grade. And he goes, hey, are you going to play football in high school? And I said, you know, I'm going to play basketball, Coach. I'm going to be a basketball player. I'm going to play for the Lakers. And he... <laughs> And he said, son, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I can, I can only be honest with you. You're short. <laughs> and he said this. He goes, you're never going to grow again. I grew five inches from seventh to eighth grade. I never grew again. I got it, Coach Wright. Know that, right? How did he know I wasn't going to play for the Lakers, right? <laughs> so he said, you got you to play football. But even if you don't, he goes, I don't know if anybody's ever told you, man. I'd love to have you on my team. I love you. I just remember choking up right here. One, because we didn't cry in my family. And I'd never heard those words from a man before. <laughs> like, he just sit there and he said, I love you. And, 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 I, and I, I just sat there and it was just, you know that feeling where you're trying to hold it in, like, stay down there, stay down there. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, uh, you know, I love you. And he goes, whether you play this game or not, 
I just want to know I love you. But if you continue to play, I'm going to try to be there as much as I can. I'm going to be there for you. And that was it. And I, I went to a different high school than his son. And so I went to the high school right across the street from my house. And um, we, my senior year, went to the championship. We played in the championship game. We won the championship. And I'm looking in the stands. And I'm looking at my mom and my grandma, my auntie, my sister. And you know how my people are. They're in there. And they're like dancing. We won the championship. <laughs> right? And uh, <laughs> they had signs. It was embarrassing me. But it was, it was good. Right? And uh, we're walking in the locker room to get changed. And at the locker room at the door is Coach Wright. I hadn't seen him in like a year and a half or two. And, um, and he says, hey, man, I just wanted to let you know, man, I was here, man. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I, just, I said, well, aren't you going to be? So his son, Jason, was playing in the championship game in their division. And I said, aren't you supposed to be at Jason's game? He goes, I told him that I'd be there a little bit late. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss this. Man, right? Like, that mattered to me. Like, that mattered to me. These are two men in my life, because of their words and because of their actions, absolutely shaped me, changed me because of what they said and what they did. And that was just for a sport, guys. Like, I love sports, but that's a sport. It's very temporary, right? I mean, it's just football, and, and, it, and, it, and it's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. I mean, honestly, back then it was like, yo, this is Rick, man. Rick's good at football. Now I'm just Uncle Rico. Like, it's gone, right? Like, it, it's gone, right? It's all make-believe stuff now, right? And so there's, there's, there's a sense, but think about this. What Paul begins to talk about and what we're going to talk about today in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians is, 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 is imagining that God himself is speaking to you. That God gets on the knee and God looks at you in the eye and says, give me your eyes. And not just give me your eyes, but give me your heart. And that he begins to say particular words to you like, I love you. Like the God of this universe says, I love you. This is not some just sentimental conceptual love, but this love is actualized in the fact that he gave his son to live for you, to die for you, and to be raised for you. And when he says to you in your eyes that I'm, I'm going to be there for you, he means it. When he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there for you, it happens. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you begin to enter into that, your life changes. And it doesn't change just for a temporal moment. This is something that is lasting. This is something that is eternal. This is true. This is real. It's why when we gather together, it's because the death and the resurrection of Christ actually happened. This is an event in history that happened. And for those who get in on it, it absolutely changes them. Amen? That when God looks at me, he says, I love you. I love you. For me, when I, and I know our stories are not the same, and I only got my story. I don't have your story. Is that when I begin to understand that God was going to be our father, like when I begin to study this thing called um, adoption and how God adopts us into his family and how he, he welcomes us to his family through his son and that he, like he's the type of dad that says, when I bring you in, I'm not going to push you out. Like he's the type of dad who goes, I'm not going to just be at the game. I'm going to be everywhere, right? Like he's the type of dad that sees a kid. You always go to a little sports, a sports game and you can see there's the good kid who everyone's like, that kid's amazing. Where's his dad? You know, because you're going to say, man, what'd you do to your kid? And how can I, can I get some of that, Right. And then there's a kid, you know, he ain't even on this planet right now. Like, does he know that we're playing soccer right now? <laughs> right? Right? And then you look at his dad, and, the, and then you see when he's got a good dad, is there's like, yeah! <laughs> that's my boy, the one that's not even on the field, that's supposed to be on the field right now. That's my guy right there. That's him. That's me. And I think God plays that role for us. Like, God is going, I'm not worried about your performance. You're my child. I love you because I love you. And when you enter into that type of love, you're changed. You're changed. And, and that's what Paul begins to talk about here. And so if you have your place there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, here's what he says. We got one verse here, one verse. He says, therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so here's the context here. In the beginning of chapter 5, Paul is talking to this group of people. And he's talking to them about um, their lives and their bodies and ultimately how they live in a certain body, but there's going to be a better body coming. Because this is the second letter that he wrote to this church. The first letter that he wrote, he addressed in chapter 15 about the resurrection. He addressed to them ultimately that the lives that we have now and the bodies that we have now for those of us who are in Christ, that we will be raised with glorified bodies, bodies that are incapable of sinning, bodies that are incapable of decaying. And so if you hear that and you believe that, you're like, Jesus, when is this coming, right? Like if you hear that, like, what, what is, like, when is this happening? So he has to write back again to him and say, hey, hey, I know what you have now. He says it's like a tent. It's not going to last forever. And you're, you, you're longing for this new body. You're longing for this resurrection life. He goes, you don't have it yet fully, but there's a part of you that's already heaven ready. There's a part of you already that will never change. And that is, if you are in Christ, the spirit that is in you is a spirit that is bringing about the resurrection of Christ in your life. Meaning the same power that raised Jesus out of the tomb is the same power that is already at work for those of us who have trusted in Christ Jesus. He goes, that's already there. All the other stuff you got, pigeon toes, knock knee, we're going to take care of that, right? But, but the spirit of God in you, that's already there. So we're going like, to walk into that and go, what does it mean that we are a new creation? What does it mean the old is past? And the new is here. So, so let's start again, 17. He says, therefore, and I got to pause because whenever, if you know me and you've been around here, you, you know that we're going to say, whenever you read a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore, all right? Um, I can tell the earliest service were the people who usually go to church here all the time because they're all, therefore. And I was like, my, my people, <laughs> right? It says, what is it there for, therefore? And here's why. Because you want to understand, okay, the writer is making a transition, and this is a connecting word. But in order for us to understand what he's about to say next, we have to understand what he said before. And so when we begin to understand what he said before, this verse will actually make sense. So read with me in verses 14 and 15. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their, for, for him for, who for their sake died and was raised. It's a reading thing. All right. So, so he, he's saying there's something that absolutely controls me. And he says this. He doesn't say, you know what? My morality, my performance, my keeping up with Jesus, my striving. He goes, no, man, it's the love of God that controls me. Like the love of God absolutely keeps overwhelming me. And I love this. This is not Paul as a young Christian who's just going, I'm really excited about Christ because I just made a decision for him. No, no. This is Paul as a mature Christian going, guys, this is how this goes down. You start in the love of God. You continue in the love of God. And you're sustained in the love of God. If you want to understand, it's the love of God. And that word God there is the word we get for God, the Father. It's the love of the Father that absolutely controls me. Or another translation says compels me. Like everything else that flows from here, it happens because of his love. And he says, and here's how this love is manifested, is that he gave this son who died so that um, ultimately died for all, like sin of the world. So those of us who now live, that we may no longer live for ourselves, but live for the one who had infinite cost to himself. He gave himself for us. Like our, our whole life is wrapped around that particular truth. As Christians, sometimes we think there's deeper, better theology and doctrines out there but everything hinges on the fact that God loves us, 
right? The, 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 the song that we teach kids, like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Done! Right? The rest of your life, just keep figuring that out. Is there anything else that we... Yeah, yeah, you do know some other stuff, but it all flows from the fact that God loves me. Think about this. God is a creator. No, no, no doubt about that. He created everything. But that's not what he's been doing the longest. God is a redeemer. No doubt about that. He redeems us. But that's not what he's been doing the longest. You know what he's been doing forever? He's been a father loving his son. I mean, just imagine that, right? I love talking to grandparents. And if you get opportunity, great grandparents. Because you hear them how they parent it. And you just get wisdom because they've been around it for a long time. Like, God is saying, I've been doing this forever. Like, I don't know anything else that I do better than loving my child. And when Paul says that the love of God controls me, he knows that now he's a part of that. That he gets in on that love. And that every single person that's in Christ gets in on that. So God's like, I, I do the parent thing. Like, there, nobody outparents me. Like, don't even do the seminar. That's great. But nobody, no, nobody, nobody, nobody out loves me. So if the love of God controls me because of these things, we see it, that Jesus died and he was raised from the dead. Like this weekend that we celebrate, Jesus died and he was raised from the dead. And that is central to the life of a follower of Christ. And Paul says, now that you know that, going back to verse 17, he says, therefore, if anybody is in Christ, now he says, if anybody is in him, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. And when he says in Christ here, he's not saying, does anybody know who Jesus is? If you've heard that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you know, if you are in him, if you are identified him, the word literally means immersed. That's where we get the word baptism from. And when you think about baptism, as people go into the water, they're immersed into the water. I mean, you are so identified with the cross and the resurrection of Christ and with the person of Jesus. That it's not something that's just conceptual, but it's a reality that has taken place in your life and that will continue to take place in your life. That Jesus Christ becomes central. He's not just a second place. He's not a third place. He's not a good idea. He doesn't just change the morality, but the death and the resurrection of Jesus matters a lot. No, 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 no. It matters most. And everything else flows from that. He goes, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation, Right? You're a new creation. No, 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 don't, don't get weirded out by that new creation. It's, like, it's not like Jesus is filming some sci-fi movie starring you or something like that, all right? Like there's, there's, no, there's no weirdness in new creation. He's trying to say that there's a new work that has happened and that is a new work that is happening. See, the, the one word that I do not like and I, I refuse to use with my kids, it's the word potential. I can't stand that word. <laughs> Because we, like, look at these kids or whatever. You, somebody has done it to you, and it's usually some well-meaning person who loves you as an employee or some employer or something. And they go, you have the potential to do, right? And then what happens? If you never reach that potential, you failed. When really, you've probably overachieved. Hey, you know, you got the potential to be the president of the United States. It's like you cured cancer, but no, you didn't become the president. Get out of here, right? There's got to be some level of going like, why, why is that standard here? And potential, the reason I don't like it as well, it's about, it's about what you can do, right? I used to always have people growing up like, man, you have the potential to do this. And I, I felt that pressure. I felt that, pr- oh, man, I, I, better, I, better, I better, man, all right, I better do that. And it's all about you. The gospel doesn't say you have potential. <laughs> you know why? The gospel is not about what you have to do. <laughs> That when Jesus looks at the finished you, like the most glorified you, that when God looks at you in Christ, he sees the end. He sees what it's going to look like when you are with God for all eternity. And he sees it here. He saw it way over here. And at no point does he go, you got potential, right? No, because he's done the work. 
It's done. It's finished. You're going to be there, but I'm not there. Doesn't matter because it's up to him. I love things that are guaranteed, right? When things are guaranteed, it's like it's done. It's already paid for. That's a good deal. When people tell me, hey, man, I got tickets for you. And you're selling me these tickets or you got tickets for me, right? I got tickets for you. Well, where are these tickets at? Um, I'm going to get them to you. No, they put in my hand, guaranteed. Thank you. I love you, right? Like that's what, I, that, that's what you want, guaranteed. Here's what Paul is saying. If anybody's a new Christ, anybody's in Christ, this person is a new creation. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. It's done. Like there has something that has happened in your life. There is a change that has happened. Now, when he says new creation, what Paul is doing is he's taking what God is doing cosmically, and he's saying he's starting with you individually. And here's what I mean. If you look at Revelation chapter 21, it begins to talk about what God is doing ultimately and will do in the resurrection. And it says this, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That God is going to redeem and restore all things. And every pain and every tear that we've shed, somehow God's got his hand in his cup. And he's going to just wait. One day I'm going to wipe those all away. And I'm going to restore all broken things. And I'm going to make all things new. And what Paul is saying here by saying that in Christ you are a new creation because of the finished work of Jesus, because of the righteousness of Christ, because of his death and his resurrection is... It's already yours, and it's already begun in you. Meaning the leaking of the, of the power of the resurrection that will redeem the whole world is already happening in those who place their faith in Christ Jesus. Like, it is not up to you. Like, your change is not up to you. If your change was up to you, you're, you're kind of hosed, right? Like, we, we don't have a chance. But if the change is up to God, it's guaranteed. It's finished. He started it, and he will, he will complete it. Amen? completely finished on uh, resting on the work of Christ. Well, Paul continues here in verse 17, and he says this next in the latter part of verse 17. He says, the old is passed away and behold, the new has come. The old is passed away and the new is coming. There's a way of your life that you live. There's a, a way that you live separated from God, a way that you live in your own worldview apart from a worldview that's shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a way that you live ultimately trusting in your own righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ. He goes, that's dead. And now the new has come. So a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife came to me and she said, hey, I need you to uh, go to the, the field trip. You got to go to the field trip with uh, Eli. All right, that's our four-year-old. And um, I don't particularly like going to field trips with preschoolers. Um, and, and not because I don't like uh, kids. I do like kids. I just don't like always being around other people's kids, you know? Because with your kids, you can control them. Get, get over here real quick. Do that. You know, you could control them. Um, not really, but you can try. But then when somebody else's kid starts doing stuff, and then you're, it's always that, like, they start doing something, and, and then your kid looks like, hey, can I do that? And you want to be gracious, like, no, you can't do that. But then you don't want to put the other parent out. 
And I just put them out. They don't know how to parent their kids, man. Don't, don't do what they do. I promise you, I do not do that. I do not do that, all right? And mainly I didn't want to go because I knew what it was going to be. It, he goes to a school. It's a preschool. It, it's a bunch of four-year-olds, and there's going to be a bunch of moms there. And not that I don't, like, you know, not that I don't normally just want to hang out with a bunch of moms. It's just going, like, it was just going to be, I was going to be, the, the, like, the dad there, right? And sure enough, that's how it was. And you get there, and everybody wants to be nice and, and polite, and, 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 which, is, which is a good thing, by the way. But, like, my son's the only black kid in his class, right? And I get there. And instead of, like, asking me another question, they, they're gonna, these moms going to say, oh, hey, how you doing? Which one's yours? <laughs> it's like uh, the Chinese kid right here, actually. <laughs> He's with me. I don't know who that kid is. Who looks just like me? Um, but, uh, <laughs> right, you know, and it's like they're, they're nice. And we get into this. So the field trip was uh, the, beautiful, uh, the, the butterfly wonderland. Right. And if you've ever driven up the 101, uh, you've probably seen it there to your right um, going north on the 101. And, and, and then there's just I mean, it's a butterfly world. Right. And we get there and they go, all right, now, before you do anything, get to watch this 14 minute video and 3D glasses. So I don't put them on. And then my, my, my son's like, all the other all the other parents have their glasses. No, no, I put my glasses on. Right. And it was it was actually really impressive, to be honest with you. It was really impressive because they tell you a lot about the process. Um, of metamorphosis, where her, uh, a caterpillar goes from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. And we know that story. We've we read the book, right? The Hungry Caterpillar. We've all read the book, right? And it became a beautiful butterfly, right? And so we, un- we understand that. But what was interesting was, you know, you get some facts and some details and so forth, which I think were great for an adult. But I'm thinking my four-year-old is just, like, trying to grab the butterflies because he thinks they're really coming off this, the, the screen right now. But, um, and, uh, and I'm like, yeah, my kid right there. Mm-hmm. And so they... Um, there's a pro- when they're in the, the cocoon, which at the first service I said when they're in Cancun, and I was like, that was the old life. That was 2002. <laughs> that illustration is going to come back later. So it's a cocoon, um, and they're fighting to get out. And what they said is you want to let them fight and fight their way out because what happens is some people, if they saw it, they would want to cut the cocoon open and, and ultimately let, let the butterfly out. But if, they, if you do that, the butterfly can't fly. It will never learn how to fly. So there's a process that has to happen. And once it happens, the, 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 butter, the caterpillar is no longer a caterpillar. It's a butterfly. And I sat there and I watched that and I said, God is amazing. Right? And I know you guys are thinking, he's amazing because he did that. That's true. But I was thinking, I've been thinking of an illustration for Easter, and the Lord gave it to me this day at this beautiful butterfly with my kid, the black kid that's with me, his dad. Right? And so this is happening. And so that, that, that picture is it. It's like once there's a butterfly there, it is completely new. Like a butterfly is not a caterpillar, and a caterpillar is not a butterfly, yet it was a caterpillar. It's super confusing, and yet it happened, and we get it. And that's kind of what happens when the gospel comes in your life. Like you're born in this world and you're dead. You're born in this world and you were separated from God. You're born in this world and you can make a lot of really good choices, but the choices that you can't make, the one that matters the most is ultimately to to make yourself right before God. And yet God goes through this process and he says, you know what, don't touch this. If you try to get in this process of you becoming a caterpillar to a butterfly, if you try to get in it, it won't happen. But if you step back and you allow me to do it, watch me do something special. Like, watch me do something new. When Paul here says the old has passed away and the new has come, he says something has happened in your life. 
The work of the spirit, the work of the gospel, the work of Jesus has been so applied to your life that you are no longer in this state. You are in this, in this state. That death no longer reigns over you, but life does. That you are no longer lost, but you are found. You are no longer blind, but now you see. You are no longer separated from God, but now you are one with Christ for all eternity. It's amazing, right? And so when it says that, we, we, we got to think a little bit, because if you're like me um, and you're a Christian in this room, um, you, you, you go, I like that idea and I love that. But it seems in my life, the old keeps creeping up to the new life. That the, 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 there, there are things in my old life that somehow be, begin to show themselves in my new life. Well, we got to understand what he's saying here. And the way we can understand what he's saying, sometimes understand what he's not saying. The first thing is this. Paul is saying that when it comes to the old life versus new life, um, the old creation, the new creation, and your, and your walk with Jesus, he's not saying that it's behavior modification. Because sometimes we think that what Christianity is, is God just wants us to act better. And if we could become a little bit better and change our behavior, change a few actions, and like we're, we know we're doing well before the Lord. And, and when I was a young Christian, I totally believed this. I thought God had reconciled me to himself, and now it was up to me to just change some things because I had some issues in my life. And what I did was, one of the things I wanted to change was I wanted to change the way that I, that I spoke. I don't want to use bad words anymore. <laughs> and then uh, I got a rubber band, and I put, like, a scripture on it, Philippians 4 to 13, which you can go read it later. It's like a verse that I felt like every athlete had, and I thought, oh, whatever that means, right? And I wrote it on my wrist, or on my rubber band, and then every time I would swear, I'd snap myself, right? And you know how that is. Like, you know, you say, I'm not going to say the word, right? You say a word. And you go, oh, I need to snap myself. Then you snap yourself. Then you say the word again because it hurt, right? And it's like, this ain't going to work, right? <laughs> this is not going to work. This, is, this can't be it. But there's a behavior modification, right? We do that with our kids a lot. Don't say that. Don't do that. Your grandma's coming around. You know, you would have put that shirt on that she, that she likes that you wore. When she leaves, you can take it off, right? There's, like, there's, no, like, there's no desire in it, right? Well, it's not behavior modification. And the next thing that it isn't, isn't is um, we think that sometimes we hear Christianity is a fresh start. Like, Jesus will give you a fresh start. And here's the thing. We don't need Jesus to give us a fresh start. I, I mean, like, that sounds really good, but it still is about us. Like, like if Jesus gave us a fresh start and said, okay, I wiped, I wiped it clean. Go ahead. Now try again. We're going to fail again. He's, all right, I hit the button again. We're going to try it. Nope, not going to work. I like to call this contra Christianity. And if you grew up in the 90s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You go up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, select, start, right? When you do that, um, there's a game called contra. You get infinity lives, right? There's a problem. I've never beat contra, right? I'm not, I'm not playing it anymore. I've never beat contra, right? Even though you get infinity lives, I can get time after time after time after time again, but I can't make myself right. You can't change your heart. The issue is your heart. And you can't change it. There's a lot of people who don't love Jesus who, on a morality side, look way better than those of us who love Jesus. They kill it, right? It's, 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 it's not just getting more chances and, and going back to the moral part. It's not just moralism. It's not a new way of moralism. So when I became a Christian, I thought that uh, my understanding of the gospel was so limited. I really did believe that God got me into the—here's what I thought it was like. Right? You know how somebody, you get a job, somebody hook you up with the job, you know, like let's say you knew the father, you knew the son of a kid who owned a company. And you knew you, you were boys with his son and he was like, listen, man, my dad runs this thing. Like, I think it's Jesus, right? My dad runs this thing called the kingdom. 
Um, if you, uh, you want to get in, I can get you in. I can do some things. I'll get you in, right? And so Jesus goes to his father and says, all right, man, can we get them a job with the kingdom? And he's like, yeah, we got it. So you get in on Jesus' name, and he's like, hey, listen, now that I got you in, man, it's on you. You got to figure some stuff out. And you're in there, and you're trying to work, and you can't do it. I think, we tr- I, I, I think I naturally treated God like that. Like I got, Jesus got me in, and now I have to figure it out on my own. And it's all on me. Like Grace got me into the door, but then now it's going to be my works that got me there. And so I thought it was just cleaning myself up. If I could just clean myself up. So there was this girl named Katie, um, and we were, like I said, I was a brand-new Christian. And, um, and when I say we were, we weren't anything, right? I know usually when you say that, it was like, oh, who was Katie? Katie was just a girl. And so she uh, asked me one time, why do you always invite me to come to these Bible studies? So we're in college, and I was inviting her to these Bible studies. And I said, because, like, the whole time we're in college, you were, like, one of the only Christian friends that I had. She goes, but I'm not a Christian. And I, oh, you're not? I said, she goes, what makes you think that I'm a Christian? I said, well, you... You don't get drunk, you don't smoke weed, you don't sleep around. You're a Christian, right? <laughs> right? That's, like, right? And she's like, no, you're right, I don't do those things. But that, in that case, that makes me a better Christian than anybody else. What do you have to say about that? And I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, we were walking in the stables, and here I was as a Christian, and she showed me that, and I didn't know what to say. Because I thought it was all about morality. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I'm going to have to go talk to my pastor, and I'm going to come back to you at some point, right? And figure this thing out. Because I thought it was like, that's what was making me a better Christian, is that I wasn't doing those things anymore. Listen. There's no such thing as a better Christian. You are in Christ or you are not in Christ. It's ultimately either the old has passed away and the new has come or the old is still there. What Paul begins to talk about, the old passing away, he's not talking about sinlessness either. There's no way as a Christian, let me just free you guys, right? Like, there's no way that you're going to be perfect. There's no way that you're going to go your life without sinning. It's not like somehow you become a Christian, you get better, you get better, you get better, you get better, and Jesus is like, oh, you're so close to heaven, come here, right? Like, that just, that does not happen. It does not happen. Jesus is not like, oh, wow, man, you got, that was faster than I thought, right? And, 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 and like, you somehow, like, escalated your way towards Christ. No, 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 no. And, and, and here, here's why I say this. It devastated me. I had a Christian in my life, devastated me. He says, you're a new Christian. I was really excited about Christ, really passionate, really emotional. Nothing's really changed. But at the time, I I said, man, I I feel like I can do this forever, man. I'll do anything for Jesus. And he goes, what the best part about this is, because you trust in Jesus now, your old desires, you won't desire any of the things that you used to desire. I'm like, really? And you know, I had that, what some people have, that new Christian buzz or whatever it was, right? And, and, um, And it faded away. And you know what? All the desires that I had before I was a Christian, I had as a Christian. In fact, I felt like they were even stronger now because I couldn't do them anymore. And then when you fell in it, I don't know about you guys, but when you fail, when you fail, when you fail, and not like, oh, I lied or I said a swear word or whatever, because that, you know, that stuff still continues. When you when you, when you fall in a way that you thought you would never f- fall again or you fail, you sin God, against God in a way, you begin the question, are you really his? You begin the question, like, was this real? And you go to passages like this, and you say, behold, the, the old has passed away, and you're going, man, the old seems to be alive in my life right now. And it feels like it's actually winning. Then you question if you really is. And if you're like me, you do silly things to try to remind yourself. I, I would do things like just try to read my Bible to see if somehow God would speak to me. I, I, would, I would turn on the Christian music and, and go, I like this, I like this, and I have to be a Christian to like this, and so that, I know I'm in, right? Like, it was just like silly things like that. But what Paul is talking about here is not perfection. 
What he's talking about, the old is past because the one who was truly sinless, the one who was truly perfect, has ultimately taken your penalty. The one who ultimately took death upon himself, he's now killed death for you. And the one who ultimately is your righteousness, it says now your righteousness is completely in him. That he is your new life. That he is what makes you right before the Lord. That he is your forgiveness. He is the, he, he is the one. He's not just the one who gets you into the kingdom. He's the one who prepares a table for you in the kingdom. He's the one who clothes you with the right clothes. He's the one that ultimately walks with you. He's the one who's already there. So this whole new creation thing is that not that what us getting better is about us constantly reminding ourselves that we are who we are, completely loved by God, fully wrapped and embraced by the love of Jesus Christ. He's the one. Like, he is the one. That's it. All the other things flow from that. Our behavior flows from that. Our morality flows from that because we want to look like and resemble the one who at infinite cost gave himself to us. So here's what new means. New means ultimately, when it says new here, new is something that has never been done before. Paul is not saying you're, you're an upgraded person. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus does not want the upgraded version of yourself. Jesus does not want the better version of you. He's not interested in you handing out your morality and giving it to him. He's so interested in him coming from heaven to earth to give his life for you. He's, he's, he's desperately in love with you. He wants to be with you. But there was something in heaven which he had, complete relationship with the Father and with the Spirit, that he was willing to leave in order to bring something that he so desirously wanted there. And that's you. That was you. New means having a new perspective on the way in which you live that is shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. New means seeing the world in a totally different way. New means seeing people in the way that God sees people. And new means seeing you in the way that God sees you. And so the actions and the words of God is this, that if God were the one who was able to kneel before you and that he was able to look you in your eyes and say, give me your eyes and give me your heart, that when he said, this is how I see you, I no longer see you as your sin. In fact, I've taken your sin and I've spread it apart as far as the east is from the west. I remember it no more. I've taken care of it. I no longer see you as what you could be. I see you as you are, completely loved by my son, completely loved by him as your father. That, that, when, when, that new means that you begin to live your life, your change, that is eternal change, happens as a direct response to you seeing how God loves you. Just imagine that for a second, guys. What would your life look like if you really believed that? That if you believed that God loved you as much as he loves Jesus. Because that's what the gospel says. The reason why Paul could say, I'm compelled by this love of the Father because of the death and resurrection of his son that anybody who is in his son, anyone who believes in his son, um, ultimately anybody who trusts in his son, that the old has passed away and the new has come because he believes that. Like what would be different about your life if you believe that God, the one who's loved Jesus for all eternity, the, the one who looks at Jesus and just can't, can't stop saying, that's my son, that's my boy, that's my boy, that when he looked at you, that he said, in Christ, that's my girl, that's my boy, that's my girl. And there's nothing you need to ever do to make sure that he keeps saying that he's always going to say it. And there's nothing you can ever do to, 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 to make sure that he won't say it again. That he's constantly looking at you in the eyes and saying, I love you. You're special. And I'm going to be there for you. And every moment in your life, he's there. Highs and lows that he's there. That he's the loving father that gives himself to us. And ultimately, we see this love as we embrace and follow his son, Jesus. If you've never trusted in Christ... 
or you've kind of grew up like me. I grew up around church, and so I kind of heard this, but it's never sunk into your heart. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says about you. The Bible says that you're no different than anybody else in the world. <laughs> and that everybody in this world is born at, in this side. And this side is separation from God and it's death. And that there's no way you can work your way to God to cleanse that. But God in his love works his way to you in Jesus. And that it says if you confess with your mouth and you believe with your heart, that if you believe in Jesus, that you're not in your work, but you can just completely say, Lord, um, can you accept me on behalf of Jesus, not me? Will you accept me on behalf of Jesus? If you trust in that Jesus, then you will be saved. All you have to do is accept his acceptance of you. And the Bible says you will be saved. You'll be made right. And then what Paul talks about here will be applied not only to those who are in Christ, but those who now who are becoming in Christ and believing. And so all of us in Christ Jesus now, we get to realize the old being passed away and the new is here is we ain't caterpillars anymore. (laughs) We're butterflies, right? Like we are beautiful butterflies, right? And I know that some of you guys masculine men, like you are a very masculine, beautiful butterfly, right? But a butterfly nonetheless, fly, (laughs) right? There's this in Christ Jesus that God makes us new. That's why we celebrate it. It's why we celebrate the resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your life and your love. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us and all that you've done for us in your son, Jesus, Lord. We pray that your spirit would continue to lead. Your spirit would continue to guide. Your spirit would awaken us, Lord, the new life in which you promised that we would repent towards it. We would walk in it. And God, we would remain in it because of the great work of you, God, in our lives. In Christ Jesus, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.